this I, I know last week we had a break we had uh, I was gone on vacation just recap of everything what we've been doing and I'm gonna talk about what we've done so far and also where we're heading towards okay so uh, we still have a few more weeks with apologetics okay actually probably like two months okay or so um, but eventually I just want to say where we begin is I actually think when we talk about apologetics it's important to think in terms of worldviews that is a, a, a belief people have is in terms of systems. They have a whole web of belief. I don't know if you guys have this. When you share the gospel, sometimes you talk about one thing and then someone else, they jump to talk about something else. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, they assume so many things that are already slanted in their presupposition against Christianity. And vice versa, when you're answering, they're also like, wow, you're answering things, you're, you're assuming so many things. That's like a Christian worldview or biblical worldview. I think worldview is inevitable. That's why we've looked at even how worldviews um, at that foundational level, like the core level, and then we go outward. So I think worldviews is almost like an onion. You want to go at this very core, and then you go outward, okay? Uh, the layers of onions, okay? If, if the core, you're, you're refuting that, then everything else um, eventually w would also fall apart. So that's why we do this like foundation um, up, so to speak, with that, okay? So where we're going to head towards for the future with this is um, tonight I want to actually talk about um, even uh, how um, the relationship of history and Christianity okay because what I want to do for the next few sessions is going to get a little bit more historical in our discussion um, some of the uh, last few weeks uh, could be much more philosophical right we've looked at um, epistemology like how do people know and how we need actually God the foundation for us to even know things about ethics actually need God foundation for us to even um, say something's right or wrong or say something we should or should not do something okay so all that is then eventually that when we come to talk about history um, I do believe Christianity is historical today we're going to talk about the relationship of history and Christianity okay um, history and Christianity and then uh, we're going to talk about what I hope next week is also how do we give evidence even as a Christian with a Christian worldview uh, we want to be wise in how we give evidence that's going to be next week and then after what I want to talk about, like even how Jesus is historical. Jesus actually did exist in history, okay? But tonight, it will be almost like a blend of philosophy and uh, history a little bit. Just because when you, what, I mean, even um, before I even got on this um, tonight, like today, early on Twitter, I was just having this one atheist guy. I did not know this guy was an atheist. Um, the guy is actually, um, is his name is God's son. So I thought he was a Christian, but his name is, uh, and I know when I was in college before, there's some guys with certain parts of um, Sub-Sahara Africa, they like to use the name God's son as a popular name of certain um, countries. So then after we're like, oh, he's not a Christian, and he was attacking, and, and he was talking about Bible contradiction and everything else, and I was just, I was kind of very nice. I thought, okay, here's some things. I realized, oh, you know what, after a while, this guy is, is not, he's an atheist, okay? But even when we, we talk about historical evidence, it's never, they're never satisfied with history. And eventually you have to go after their worldview and say, hey, you don't even have a foundation in your worldview to even talk about ethics. When you say Christianity is eth uh, unethical, when you say Christianity is illogical, wait, you don't even have a foundation for logic itself, okay, um, to even begin with. Every weapon that you're trying to use, there's no basis for that. In fact, um, it, it blows up on its own from if your worldview is assumed logic will blow up and also ethics okay so tonight we're going to talk about the relationship of history and so after that we're going to talk about that and i also even want to talk about textual criticism you ever hear people say things like the bible's um unreliable the text has been changed so we'll talk about that um a session and then we're going to go over messianic prophecies in scripture so that's going to be more scripture okay 
Um, thank you, Kofi, for your input. I was hoping you would share that, okay? Um, Godson is popular among Ghanaians and Nigerians. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I don't know exactly where his country's at, um, but, it, it, you know, when I looked at the pictures, I oh, he seems um, not necessarily African-American in, in growing up here. So thank you so much, Kofi. This is where we need each other, both perspective and insight, okay? So tonight we're going to be looking um, of the re relationship of history and biblical Christianity, okay? Relationship of history and Christianity. Because when I often engage, and I really do like history, um, that is my passion. But I also feel like, just like the example I mentioned on Twitter, instead of just only giving historical evidence, it also comes a point like, you know, man, if they keep on suppressing it, that's when you go and say, hey, you don't even uh, have a foundation, to do history according to this, okay? We're going to actually ask the question is, what is the relationship between history and Christianity, okay? This is foundational. So next week, for instance, or a few weeks from now, when we talk about, like, Jesus historically exists. And I don't want to be where, if you deal with someone, you just only keep giving evidence, one after another. And the atheist just makes fun of it and is just skeptical. But then you could also go on the offense and say, okay, if you reject this evidence, you're also, the problem's with you. It's not with Christianity, Okay. So before we do all that is also, of course, the importance of saying, how does history and Christianity relate, okay? So um, so there's going to be uh, four points for tonight, okay? Four points for tonight. Um, point number one is what is history, okay? What is history, okay? Uh, what is history? Sorry, let me, so what is history is point number one, okay? Point number one is what is history, Okay. Uh, point number two, sorry, my mouse is, is okay. So point number two is I want to say uh, point number two is that Christianity is historical. Okay, Christianity is historical. At least this claim of scripture, um, we could debate whether or not it's true or not. But at least we want to look at point number two is to say that if you look at the Bible's claim itself, it is historical in its claims. Okay, so point number two, Christianity is historical. Okay. Point number three, I want to make a point that history helps us to interpret and defend the Bible. Help, history helps us to interpret and defend the Bible. Okay, History helps us to interpret and defend the Bible. Okay, um, And then point number four, I would also say history needs a biblical worldview. History needs a biblical worldview for it to be intelligible and meaningful also as well. Okay, So in looking at this... Um, what I'm actually saying is that history and a biblical worldview or the, what we get from the content of scripture is teaching that has implication for philosophy, things of that nature. Um, it's an interrelationship. Claims of history help when you, when you study history, it helps reinforce and defend the Bible and help us interpret the Bible too. But also the other way is also reverse is true too. History itself, the pursuit of history needs assumptions that actually... Um, is rested upon the foundation of a biblical world view. So this last part of point four is building from everything else. Let me repeat these four points. Number one, what is history? What is history? Point number two, Christianity is historical. Christianity is historical. Number three, history helps us to interpret and defend the Bible. Okay, and point number four, history needs a biblical worldview. So these four points is going to be for today, okay? So let me stop at this point. Uh, let's go to point number one. I mean, what is history? Uh, point number one is what is history? Okay, what is history? Um, this is open ended for anyone. What do you guys? Um, anyone here likes history? I'm just curious. This is open ended and this is recorded. I'm just curious if anyone likes history and what er what area of history you guys like? Anyone? Josh, you want to type in what area of history you like? I know you have audio problem. Jesus, 
You like history? And what area of history, Jesus? Just curious. Um, growing up, I was big into the uh, Roman Empire. That okay. was what I studied the most that period of time. Okay, good. Okay. Um, often that spear is often called uh, classical history, right, with the Greek and Roman. And I think that understanding that helps interpret the Bible and also as well with um, defending the Bible too. But yeah, okay, thank you for sharing. Okay. Um, anyone else interested? Uh, I think Josh typed up something. Um, uh, European history. Okay. Okay, that's pretty standard Western, a nice view. Okay. Um, I feel as I grow as more as a Christian, I love many areas. Okay. Um, Kofi says, uh, I really love history, especially civilizations, war, etc. Yeah, okay. I mean, history to me is fascinating because it's multifaceted, okay? Um, it's not just only European. I love, um, I, one, one thing that I'm personally fascinated as a break, when I take a break from ministry, I actually read history. And my most recent this year, since 2021, I've been, 2022, I've been fascinated with the, um, with the Silk Road, with Central Asia, you know, all those countries, we often call them stands, like Turkmenistan's and Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan. So I've been fascinated with that, okay? Um, okay, so all these things from you guys share, and of course, there's also military science also, and military history. What the military history could be divided into various kinds, uh, also kinds that are called operational history, purely about the maneuver strategy and tactics, okay? There's other macro picture scale of economic dimension that makes the war engines possible. Or, or, or armies, okay? There's all these aspects, okay? Um, but with all of this, what would you guys say history is? We all have an idea of history, but what is history? Anyone want to give a shot at what is history before we go even over various definitions? Hannah? Go ahead. History is what backs up. History is back then, okay? What happened back then, okay? That's my daughter. My youngest daughter said history, she first said it as back then, but is with the study of back then, okay? Okay, so there's involved of past. Okay, very good. Rebecca, you're laughing. Did you want to add anything else? No, that's good. Thank you for sharing. That's pretty good, okay? So we all have an idea, okay? This is where um, history, and I'm going to be quoting here from John Warwick Montgomery. John Warwick Montgomery is actually a Christian apologist. I think uh, I think some of you guys might know him. I think uh, Ben Wartz, I think he just dropped off. Ben Wartz is a big fan because he's a Luther, uh, Ben Wartz is a Lutheran. Uh, John Warwick Montgomery is a historian. He has like 10 earned degrees, something crazy like that, like in the area of law, history, philosophy, okay? Um, it is more of an evidentialist. Um, that's not necessarily my view of things, but I have appreciated him. So from his book, um, The Shape of the Past, um, on page 8, he defines history as a study of events or the study of... Uh, um, it's about events and the study of these events, okay? That's how he defined it, okay? When we look at the dictionary, okay, um, this is from the Oxford Dictionary, how they say it's the study of past events, particularly human affairs, okay? So we all have this idea. Uh, one that, that I really like is by a, um, a theologian, is Vern Poitos. He says history is the study of three dimension, which is um, event, people, and meaning. And it's interrelationship, okay? Event, people, and meaning. That's going to be very important when we appears when we talk about um, later on down the road about how Christianity um, is the foundation, the worldview, the assumption of Christianity is the foundation. Not every worldview, not every religion is allowed the building blocks for people to actually pursue history in a way that's meaningful, co uh, coherent, and cogent, okay? So remember that, event, people, and meaning, okay? 
um, with that. So that's point number one is pretty simple. Um, it's, it's to the point with that, okay? Uh, but we need to have that before we even look at all, um, everything else, okay? So, um, so again, um, I think the three, if it breaks, distilled into three points, it's event, people, and uh, meaning, and the interrelationship of those three, okay? Again, event, people, and meaning, okay? So that's what it is. So in light of what we now understand history is, we now go to point number two, is that Christianity is historical. Um, I'm not going to prove everything Christianity is historical tonight, okay? But I want to look at point number two when I say Christianity is historical, is that at the very minimum, Christianity claims to be historical, okay? Uh, Christianity claims to be historical. If you guys can, let's open up real quick to John chapter 1, verse 14, okay? John chapter 1, verse 14, okay? Uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, when we turn over there, if I could have a motivated volunteer, uh, or um, I'm wondering if, Jesus, um, would you be able to read for us? And then the next, for the, for the next passage afterward will be Kofi, okay? Um, if Kofi, if you can, just give me a thumbs up if you could be a, a volunteer um, reader afterward for the next passage, okay? Um, Jesus, when you're there in John chapter 1, verse 14, if you could read that. Pastor, sorry to interrupt, but I'm actually on the road. Okay, walking. cool. You're cool. Okay, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'm not driving. I'm, I'm walking and I'm listening. Okay, cool, so, cool. Okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not yeah, you're good. I'll, I'll have someone else. We're just glad you could join in. Okay. Um, All right. Okay. Uh, Caleb, if you could be the next reader, um, my second reader afterward, give me a thumbs up, unless you're driving or, or something. Okay, cool. Jesus, if you could read John chapter one, verse fourteen, first for us. Yes. Um, John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Yeah, um, this word, if you know the Gospel of John, the word is actually referring to Jesus Christ. In John 1, 1, earlier, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the words were God, and the word was God. So this is God the Son, okay? Uh, John, uh, God the Son. And here in verse 14, it says he became flesh. The Greek word here for flesh refers to physical body, okay? Having a physical body. And I like how um, another way to translate John 1.14, where it says dwelled with us, is you could translate that as he tabernacled with us, okay? He camped out with us, pulling this theme. I think John is very rich. He's referring a lot to the Old Testament, saying that God once dwelled with the people in a tabernacle in the temple, but now God himself is dwelling in full bodily human form. And Jesus Christ has appeared um, in the scene of history with what is called the incarnation. That is God becoming a man, okay? So notice here Jesus was physical. So he was a person. And there was a time where he was not physically humanly born. And there was now a time in John 1 is telling us that he was, he came in the flesh. In other words, he experienced human conception in Mary's womb and human birth. In other words, there's events taking place, okay? Um, and he's a person. And the meaning of it is what? Is he's here to be giving us God's truth and grace. So in John 1.14, you'll notice there's a dimension of talking about an event, a person named Jesus, and also meaning that he's here, full of grace and truth 
and of course we know John 3.16 eventually to save us okay so again let me repeat this there's an event person and meaning in other words it's what well, there is a dimension of even looking at Jesus Christ uh, a dimension of historical claim and remember the um, there's three points event uh, person and its meaning of these two um, uh, of those two other dimension this is what history is involved with and Jesus himself is historical in its claim okay let's also look, open up with me real quick to Luke chapter 1 verses 1 to 4 okay Caleb if you could be the next reader um, okay Luke chapter 1 verses uh, 1 to 4 okay and then Rebecca I'm gonna ask you to be my next reader afterward with Luke chapter 2 but for now um, Luke chapter 1 verses 1 to 4 with Caleb first Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who, from the beginning, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Amen. Okay, thank you so much for reading that. Um, Luke is writing a prologue. Um, Luke, by the way, is a doctor, a physician. Um, some of you guys are involved with things with medical care, and I'm always amazed at you guys' attention and details. I, I don't know, some of you guys, to me, is really bright, okay? But even with all that, I mean, I think Luke is bringing that same intensity um, also into writing history. Uh, what My favorite gospel, I go back and forth whether... Is John or Luke but one of the things I really like Luke is his attention to details of things that are history both in the Gospel of Luke and later on in the book of Acts okay um, and here he's telling the person he's writing to Theophilus is saying hey I'm, I have done a very careful inquiry according to verse 3 okay um, to look into these matters and lay it out in a consecutive order in a way that's very well organized to gather history of what the person of Jesus Christ the person and the works and the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ okay so when we see here um, it's very claim is claiming to be historical and by the way the way Luke wrote is in a genre of uh, I think of of biographies uh, of even of, of the Greco-Roman way of writing um, the literary style of that okay and I, I think it's fitting in with him trying to say that everything here is historical okay um, so there is an historical claim, okay? Um, was someone trying to speak or said something? Sorry. Okay, um, let's go now to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. Um, Rebecca, would you be able to read for us Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 2? And you come up here to be able to read uh, for us Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Denarius was governor of Syria. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, so here we see, um, again, this is the second chapter of Luke. In the context, perhaps you've seen this passage before, is often around Christmas time, right? We see in Luke chapter 2 about the birth of of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem that's an account and I like the attention to details he mentioned that there was gonna be a census and he actually names officials okay he identified that who was so Israel at this time and Judah was under the Roman Empire and there's name 
of a name of a Roman emperor at this time. Who's this? Caesar, which means emperor, Augustus, okay? Caesar Augustus. And he also further identified that who was a governor in Syria this time was a guy named Quinarius, okay? Was a guy named Quinarius, okay? Who was um, um, more or less like a military kind of governor at this time in, um, in Syria. So we see here that the claim of Scripture is specifically trying to show us, right? I mean, uh, that this was something that is historical, that... Um, was happening and taking place, okay? Moreover, I also think that the death of Jesus Christ and resurrection of Christ is actually historical also as well. And Scripture's point is telling us too that this is actually something that actually actually occurred in space-time continuum, what is what we would call reality, okay? If you guys can, let's open up to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 8, okay? 1 Corinthians 15, Verses 1 to 8. This is a little bit longer. Hannah, would you be able to read um, the first two verses of 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 2? Then, um, James, I'm assuming you were commenting earlier that you might be able to read also as well. Is that correct, James, or or not right now? Yes, I can. Okay. Uh, James, if you could read verses 3 to 4. And then I'll read the rest of uh, verses 5 to 8. Okay, Hannah, you want to come here first? Again, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 8. Uh, Hannah, you read two verses. Then James, you read verses 3 to 4. And I will read uh, verses 5 to 8. Okay? Again, 1 Corinthians 15. Let me turn there first. Okay, let me scroll up. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15. If you could come here, my lady, my baby. Okay. You begin with the first two verses, okay? Okay. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you, you you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Okay, thank you so much. James 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of as a first importance that I also received, <clears throat> that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Verse 5, And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After, after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, more, most of whom remain until now. But some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Okay, so in reading this in First Corinthians fifteen, the context of First Corinthians fifteen is Paul is trying to say the resurrection is very important. The resurrection of all of us. Okay, um, that Christianity makes the claim that once we die, one day we will be united with our spirit and our body. Um, that in the eternal state, that is when we're in the new heaven and new earth, we would actually have real physical body. Okay, a glorified body, a new and improved body. Okay. I think that's what the Bible teaches, okay? And he also says the basis of that is based upon what? Christ died, and he also literally, physically, in space and time, resurrected, okay? So when he says here, when he says here, um, notice, I, I love how he based it upon this, is saying that it's just it's historical, you could verify, validate that too, um, with certain individuals that have seen him resurrected. But also he says in verses 3, according to the scriptures, Okay? Um, and he said, even notice there's an event takes place that says, verse 4, on the third day, 
and of course involves involves a person of Christ. So you see event and person, and he explains the meaning of this, right? Going on later on, even for instance in verses fifty-eight, saying, "A therefore." My beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is is not in vain in the Lord. I love how in 1 Corinthians 15, he begins talking about this is historical, and then he tells us, hey, everything you do for Christ in serving Him is not in vain. I think some churches might perhaps sadly, uh, some churches might sadly preach 1 Corinthians 16 more often. You know what 1 Corinthians 16 about? It's about giving, Right? Uh, giving, but notice why do we give? It's not because okay, you give and therefore, um, if you give God, God will give you ten percent back, or you know, or or twofold, or any of that. The, First Corinthians sixteen, when he talks about a in verses two, getting all the collection. The reason why we give is based upon the gospel that God has raised Christ from the dead. Therefore, we will have a resurrection. And if all these things is true, that Christ really did die and was raised from the dead, then our faith is true that it is not in vain and moreover first corinthians 15 saying if christ did not raise from the dead then everything we believe is vanity it's meaningless it's purposelessness right but if there is hope if christ really did die and raise from the dead then we have hope and therefore the application everything we do for him is not in vain including first corinthians 16 to when we give to the church when we give to god and serve him okay but it's built upon this claim of first corinthians 15 that christ really literally in space-time continuum resurrected from the dead which presupposes of course he's he's a real person um and this is a real event Shh, girls and this is a meaningful thing again you see the three dimension of history um event person or people and also as well what um also as well that the meaning of this is also explained okay so of all of this uh hannah could you we're doing a bible study okay so point number one we've looked at already is what is history? Point number two, we see that Christianity's claim is historical, okay? And then I w- now I want to go to point number three. History helps us to interpret and defend the Bible, okay? History helps us to interpret and defend the Bible. I think those that most general Christian, evangelical Christian, when they hear oh, Christianity and history, they often would say, oh yeah, the Bible is historical and history proves the Bible, okay? So this point might be, um, more intuitive point number four when I go over later on history needs a biblical worldview might not be what we often think about the pr- philosophy the worldview that's a foundation for history to be possible okay um, but here the point number three I want to make the point that history helps us to interpret and defend the Bible in three ways there's three ways history helps the Bible and again I'm going to qualify this later on to say because some of us will say hey wait wait isn't it the other op- opposite way also Christianity um, doesn't need everything to be historical or everything to be proved in history. I'll say, I'll explain this, but at least for now, there's three ways, okay? History helps us with the Bible, okay? Three ways. The first one is history as a, um, is a tool for interpreting the Bible. History is a tool for interpreting the Bible, okay? That is, when you understand history, you have some context that helps us to interpret the Bible, okay? I don't have any specific verses, for all of this right now, but I think I'm going to give the example from the last book we went over. Do you guys remember one of the last book we before we did apologetics? Which book did we finish? Anyone remember the book of what in the Bible? We preach verse by verse through. Remember what was the last two books? 
Maybe that'll help out if you remember the last book or the second to last book that we've looked at um, in for our Tuesday night Bible study. Anybody remember or is that or, or is it too long ago? Nahum. Who's who said mentioned Nahum? Anyone remember what was the book before Nahum? It was the book of Jonah. Why we preached Jonah and Nahum together was Jonah and Nahum mentioned both the city of Nineveh. Jonah came and they were shown grace. But then a um, hundred years later, guess what happened? The, uh, Nahum, uh, Nineveh, the next generations onward did not felt a need to repent of God to God, but rather they celebrate violence and sin and conquest and imperialism and all that. You guys remember? Um, do you guys remember when we go went over that? Um, just I mean, with Nahum so again, uh, to establish point number three, history helps um, with the Bible. Is number one history? One way is history is a tool to help us interpret the Bible. If you guys could open up again to Nahum, um, just just as a survey, if you guys remember Nahum chapter, it was all over. Do you guys remember the study? Like for instance, when we open up to Nahum, when we saw. Earlier uh, in verses 3, let's just say 3-1, where it says, Welcome to the bloody city, full of lies and pillage. What do we learn? We, we know the historical background. Nahum would often, correction, Nineveh, would they always honor their tre peace treaty with people? No. They were full of lies, of conquest, and that kind of thing. And by the way, we know that they're a violent, bloody city. So when you know the historical background, does that help us to see the Bible in a more three-dimensional way? That we now appreciate more the references to Nahum. Yes, so one way history helps us to uh, with the Bible is it gives us tools for interpretation, explaining what was going on. Does that make sense? Um, I think another one is also as well as helps us even for instance of even like with biblical geography. Okay, biblical geography. Um, in the Gospels, there's one point where Jesus goes from uh, Jericho. And then some part of the gospel says he encounters her, in, uh, you know, like he saw what he called fig fruits. And then he, he then curses it. And then he goes to Jericho. And then people used to say, hey, is there a contradiction? Because he goes from Jericho to Jericho. But when you know biblical geography, he went from old Jericho to new Jericho. Okay, So it helps us interpret the background, the context, and that, things of that nature. Does that make sense? Okay. Another way... Uh, history helps us is also as well is it helps us with biblical languages okay uh, Hannah could you stop grabbing people we're doing a Bible study, okay so you, when we look at the Bible the Bible was it, was it originally written in English guys it was originally written in what language there's three languages the Bible is a collection of 66 books written in three languages what uh, which one what are those three languages anyone anyone could unmute what are the three languages Yeah, Aramaic. Yeah, that's good. Aramaic, okay. Um, there's a little bit of Aramaic in portions of Daniel, okay. Um, the Old Testament primarily is written in Hebrew. Um, and then, of course, the New Testament is in Greek, okay. So all those languages, uh, when we study those languages, we must always under, understand those languages according to the biblical times, okay. We don't read modern Hebrew. By the way, modern Hebrew is a little bit different than biblical Hebrew, okay. Um, Greek, there's different kind of Greek. Um, there's classical Greek of the time of Homer and the Iliad and, and reading Plato's Republic, you need uh, um, 
uh, Attic Greek or Athenian Greek, but that's different than Biblical Greek. Biblical Greek was much more simplified. It's what's called Koine. Koine means common Greek, because that was when the New Testament was trying to advance. It wasn't trying to sound like scholars. It was trying to reach everybody for everybody to understand, like common, ordinary Greek, okay? So in light of all this, these languages when we study, does that, studying those words meaning, does that involve history? Yeah. We're seeing what the words mean back then, okay? So all these things helps us, okay? So the Bible, we need history to help us with the Bible. And again, we're looking at three ways. Let me recap again. One way is history as a tool for interpreting the Bible, interpretation of the Bible, right? Remember the example like Nahum, when he talked about lion, right? Uh, we know that the lion he's talking about is what? Is referencing to who? Uh, Nineveh, because Nineveh, you know the history, Nineveh likes to compare itself to what? Lions, right? So do you see how that helps us with interpretation? Then number two is history helps with the languages, right? It's originally not written in English, but it's written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. So the study of those languages um, in this historical context helps us then to what? Interpret what the Bible means. Does that make sense? And a third way history helps us with interpreting and defending the Bible is also it could be a kind of Christian apologetics. It could be a sort of Christian apologetics. Okay, um, I'll give an example. For a long time period, before the uh, 1800s, late 1800s, people used to say the Bible's not true because the Bible mentioned about Hittites. And they would say, hey, there's no evidence of a people called Hittites. And then archaeologists started doing uh, more digging in the Middle East and they discover that there was a big civilization in what is now modern-day Turkey called Hittites and therefore when you, someone says that and you're involved with history and you know history when someone says hey, the Bible is false then you could say no now we know from history and archaeology that there are Hittites okay so let me say again these three ways history um, how the Bible needs history is number one it gives us historical background to understand things number two uh, or to understand things to interpret number two it also helps us with the biblical languages and number three it's a form of apologetics you're saying things like, oh this person exists um, this is actual factual this event happened there's this person and and that kind of thing okay so those are the three ways with that let me stop here real quick before I move further any questions so far uh, with our points thus far Again, we've looked at three or four points so far. We looked at what is history. That's foundational so that we could see point number two, Christianity is historical. And then we made this point, point three, is history helps us to interpret and defend the Bible. And now we're going to go to point number four. History needs a biblical worldview. History needs a biblical worldview. Why I add this part, why history needs a biblical worldview is I actually think um, when you deal with individuals about details of history, sometimes it is true. It could be an issue of interpretation of what the facts are. Okay, And then someone that's a radical critic, no matter what evidence you give, he's always going to be able to spin it. So I also don't think that allows them to be rational in their unbelief. Is by saying that, hey, no matter what, um, I still would always be a Christian because even to do history, 
you need a philosophy of history and the philosophy of history assumes certain assumptions what we call presuppositions that could only be make sense in a christian worldview versus that of an atheist or sometimes even eastern religious worldview does that make sense okay because there's a sense where um i not i would not be able to give you every historical evidence for every single person that ever exists in the bible does that make sense um, for instance, in Jesus' genealogy, there's a man named Salmon. But is there necessarily historical evidence of something outside the Bible of that Salmon existed? I don't know, and I don't think so, okay? So I just want to also be realized because when we do archaeology, when we do history, there's a sense where it is not a full, complete record and archives of everything that ever happened. Does that make sense? Um, I know in the Marines, when I was in the Marines, for instance, um, sometimes... Guys would also say, hey, medals are not everything. Medals are buried because there's sometimes, is it possible? There's people who are very brave, but they didn't, no one lived long enough to actually wrote things down of someone's bravery for medals. And that's perhaps true, right? People make their last stand protecting others, stuff like that. I bring this up as an example to show how history is, in some sense, incomplete record of everything that happens. So when we see point number four, history needs a biblical uh, worldview. I also think just because someone say, "Hey, you cannot argue just from science." Hey, there's no proof of this or that. Or also they say they spin the evidence in such a way that it seems it will go against Christian. I would actually say no history um, data goes against the Bible because in the end, history not only sometimes supports the Bible, but also history needs the support of a worldview of an is uh, uh, of a religion uh, of a religion or worldview that can make sense of history to begin with. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say when you look at the root of history itself, there's certain things you make assumptions that needs a worldview that can make it meaningful and intelligible. Okay? So remember, do you guys remember what are the three dimensions of history that we've been saying that's part of the definition of history? That three things that history is involved with. Do you guys remember? Anyone? For those taking notes, do you guys remember earlier? It involves, number one, event. What else? Besides event, what else is there involved? People or person and also meaning, okay? Also meaning, okay? If I could just draw this out real quick. Uh, again, I have really messy handwriting, so I'm going to try to write this out. Uh, so if you guys will probably, at the end of this, all this, you guys will probably be like, hey, Jimmy, you just... All the apologetics is just one big triangle, right? Okay? Oh, okay. Can we get a mark? Actually, Rebecca, you have better than that. Abby? Oh, do you want me person? Person. Okay, could you write meaning here? My daughter's going to be my Vanna White to write. Okay? You write meaning on top? Okay. Okay. And then the bottom one here, you could write event okay after okay so i'm gonna mention again you know like why i'm going over this is because um remember our first session when we, in the first few sessions we went over or the third session we went over all those triangle about how every world everyone assumes you know things uh theory of not and then the next one is the event okay and I, i'm trying to make a point in terms of how we do apologetics is that everything um Thank you so much, okay? My daughter's handwriting is neater than mine. You guys all see this? 
Oh, oh man. Backwards. Ooh, is it backward looking? Okay. So, meaning, does it look backward for you guys? I don't know. Okay, so meaning, person, and events, okay? So that's what history is involved with, okay? For instance, um, on November 22nd, 1963, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Notice there's an event, okay? Notice it involved people or person, John F. Kennedy. And then we talked about the meaning. We talked about, like, what does it mean? It was a national tragedy. It was, um, it was something that was sad. And then people ask questions like, was there a conspiracy? All those things is involved meaning. It's not just only, you know, it's not just a phone book of information, of history, right? So when we look at all these things, if you think about it, from what we talked about worldview earlier, okay? We talked about how worldviews it involves things that are statements of facts, right? Okay, or situational with events, okay? Then we talked about like how we even, um, you, you know, that there is a sense that it is, um, this, for those of you guys into apologetics, the existential, that is the, um, oh, correction, you know, uh, uh, the existential that is involved the personal and also as well with um, even the normative, with rules, right? To make sense of meaning and stuff like that. So in light of these three dimensions, in light of these three, sorry, these three things, I would actually say, if you think about it, there's a sense where history needs philosophy, okay? Because again, it fits so much with the, like the triangle I've done earlier of epistemology, metaphysics, and, um, and with ethics, right? So in that sense, then, in light of this, then we also say that if the meaning, we also say something could be whether it's good or not, so it's ethics, okay? And then with event is situational. Actually, we'll, we'll go to personal first. Or you, I'll just say epistemology. You guys remember epistemology? Uh, with how do we know what we know? Okay. And also as well with metaphysics, right? No, we're good, okay? Metaphysical uh, with that, okay? So I'm bringing this all as to say, what I'm trying to say is this, that remember how we critiqued uh, atheism has a problem where they cannot have a foundation for ethics, okay? Um, and therefore, in a the sense, we, there's, um, you know, and, and with epistemology, they have a problem with epistemology, right? If you're going to be empiric empiricism, that only thing that you can know is only by your senses, then that also becomes self-refuting. It blows itself up. And it does not allow you then to actually know events if you're going to be a hyper-critic, okay, or hyper-skeptic also as well, okay? So in light of this then, um, it's fascinating. Then we look at these things and say, which worldviews allows them, them to make sense of things where there are person and there are events and there is such thing as meaning, okay? As something as meaning, okay? So to begin with, um, when we talk about meaning, we also say things, for instance, when we talk about history, Hitler is what? Bad, right? Notice then when we talk about the meaning of that, some of it would include more ethical meaning. But if we saw earlier in our previous session that atheism does not provide the foundation for ethics, then guess what happened? Suddenly then, you're not actually doing history. You cannot be meaningful to talk about meaning itself, okay? In light of the fact that there is no value system, um, which ethics is dealing with value theories, right? Um, so even with that, um, when we talk about, and by the way, um, if there's no meaning of all that, what's the difference between going to someone's grave and count how many, um, 
study of rocks that are six inches and under, right? Or, or six inches and bigger. And is that more significant and meaningful than actually looking at a grave underneath six feet under and say, what is this person's life and what did the person done? There'll be no difference if there's no meaning. Okay, so notice the pursuit of mean, history presuppose there's meaning and value, okay, um, uh, with that, okay? But remember when we saw earlier with, even with atheism, remember how we saw even earlier that with, um, uh, with a Bertrand, uh, correction, with Richard Dawkins, he has said earlier that there, if there is in the end, um, sorry, my computer is freezing. Sorry, let me hold real quick. So Richard Dawkins, remember earlier, uh, what we've seen even previously is that he does not believe that there is, what, even meaning uh, in, in this world, okay? So he says that in the universe of selfish genes and all of this, that there is at bottom no design, no purpose, okay? No purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. In other words, it's a death of meaning, Death meaning is the opposite of indifference, right? You have a perspective. And if you see everything in the end, it's just nothing more than no pity, no empathy, anything else. It's just all indifference. There's no evil, no good. There's no basis to say, hey, this is a good thing and this is a wrong thing, uh, right? And there's no purpose. All of it is meaningless. Then you have no basis to even talk about history because of that, okay? Because there is a lack of meaning, okay, with that. Moreover, uh, to go even further, um, there are also some worldviews that also says, hey, you know, the purpose of existence is suffering, especially a lot of Eastern religion, okay, where it's, it, it is, the goal is to not cease to exist. But then if that's the case, existence is meaningless and it's a bad thing, physical existence, then therefore you also remove the foundation for history because suddenly it is no longer meaningful. So do you guys see how our worldview could uh, interpret or also could either um, reinforce the importance of history or even undermine the pursuit and the study of history, okay? Um, so that is with meaning, okay? Of course, the Bible, we use biblical uh, ethics with the biblical law to say, hey, this is right, this is wrong. We could say this person is wrong to do this, this person in history was right, this person was courageous, and that's a good value. So there's meaning in, within a Christian world. Christianity provides the moral foundation to even make sense of that and also say what is and is not meaningful, what is and is not valuable, and, and what is right and what is wrong. Does that make sense? Moreover, I also think um, the other part of history is also as well is there is people or person, okay? But if atheism, hard atheism is true, hard atheism says that in the beginning there was never a person. And they say that if there's any person, it's actually evolved of everything from what? In the things that are impersonal. And I would actually say hard atheism, you go further, there really is no person. You're nothing more than, it's nothing more than fatalism. That everyone, what we do, we're nothing more than robots that are, what, made out of 70% water and, and, and wrapped up in a carbon bag, okay, big carbon bag. That you're nothing more than the bunch of neurons and uh, electrons moving about and there's for, therefore, there's no discussion of, of history where people are making things with volitions and desires and choices, okay, um, with that. So I do believe choices and everything is in light of God's sovereignty. But nevertheless, there is such thing as volitions, wills, and desires, okay. Um, but if you go by 
uh, hard atheism, there's not even the existence of person to even make sense of even responsibility and everything else to begin with also as well. So in light of this, and also, of course, there's certain Eastern religions that think at root, especially Buddhism, um, you know, at root, there is no such thing as person. The reason why suffering exists is you think you are a person. So you need to realize to free your mind from that, which then leads to all kinds of philosophical questions. But at least I want to show you is that not every worldview could make sense. In fact, some worldview destroys the possibility of of. Of doing history, okay. Moreover, if you remember, also another part of history is event. But if you have radical skepticism, if you have empiricism, which by the way, empiricism destroys itself. There's no foundation for even know things that exist uh, radically um, exist outside of us, also as well, okay. But however, if there is a Christian worldview, we believe in the Christian worldview. Um, which comes first, the personal or impersonal? The Christian worldview would always say everything always existed. There's always a person, and that is God. The personal always exists before the impersonal. Okay, so this is a worldview that could account and not destroy the person of this. Of course, the meaning is in light of God, Creator, and also Lord. He gives meaning and laws with that, right? And also in light of this, He actually made creation. In time, there was a time there was not creation. There is now there is time. But not every worldview has believed in time. There's a group here in LA called the Gasha Temple of Wisdom. They believe time don't even exist. But if time doesn't exist as a new world, uh, new age belief system, then they have no foundation to even do history, okay? Because there's no such thing as event. But in Christianity, there was a time where God created the world and God and Christ entered. So the worldview also matters. Okay, to make this foundation down. And I bring this to say is this, whenever i dealing with an atheist or skeptic, when they're like, no matter how much evidence you give, I, by the way, I rarely ever give evidence. Um, I think like any good lawyer, before you give evidence, you want to ask what is their criteria of evidence. That's going to be next week we're going to focus on. But here at the very least, I would also say that when it seems like it doesn't go anywhere, also probe what their worldview is and even say, hey, you're trying to use... A weapon called history against Christianity but in light of your worldview what you're doing is you're putting a grenade inside that rifle called history and you're blowing it up in light of your own belief system so therefore you at the core you can't use history to to attack but rather uh, the rifle of Christian uh, of history makes sense in my worldview but in yours you provide the, your the very own grenade that blows up its very own endeavor of using history as a weapon against Christianity, okay? So um, next week we'll talk more about how do we give evidence in light of presuppositions um, and everything else that we want to be wise in how we do this. And then afterward we'll look at some of these um, instances of history. But again, why I'm going over this is because at root, it's not just debating with facts, we're dealing with worldviews. And if a worldview destroy history, that's like you're pulling, he's pulling themselves in his own rug underneath his own feet and, and he's bringing himself down. Um, and, and we need to point that out so that, that he doesn't think, hey, there's a foundation to even attack Christianity in historical details, or radical skepticism of history and that kind of stuff, okay? Now let me stop at this point. Is there any 